Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello, I'm Hugh Linehan and you're very welcome to this, the latest edition of Inside Politics, the podcast from the Irish Times. After the moderately exciting drama of last week's Fine Gael leadership contest, we are back down to earth now in what I suppose is a week of suspended animation with a new Taoiseach due to be elected next Tuesday and the winners and losers in the UK general election being decided in the next 36 hours. We are going to be joined in a few minutes by the deputy leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald. But first, uh, with me in studio, our political editor, Pat Lee and political correspondent Fia Kelly. Pat, the first question is, you know, what happens now? Well, um, now there are meetings. This week there are meetings taking place yesterday and today between the, uh, I'm not sure what his official title is beyond leader of Fine Gael. Could we call him the Taoiseach, the presumptive Taoiseach, Taoiseach or uh, Taoiseach elect? I'm not sure we call him Taoiseach elect yet, but um, anyway, let's call him Leo. Mm. Uh, so he is... The Crown uh, Prince. He is meeting with his independent, his government colleagues from the Independent Alliance and the other independents in government. He's also meeting, I think, about now with uh, the Fianna Fáil leader Michal Martin uh, the purpose of these meetings being a renewal of the vows between the various parties uh, to the government and uh, a recommitment of the, the two separate agreements I suppose the programme for government agreed with the independence and the confidence and supply agreement agreed with Fianna Fáil this time last year the sense that we get or the mood music that we get from the meeting so far is that they're reasonably constructive that um, that everything is going according to plan. Uh, certainly with the independents, they don't expect to hold up, uh, or certainly they're, they're the members of the Independent Alliance, because of course there's other independents in government, don't expect to hold up their... Uh, they, they had a meeting yesterday with, or last night, with uh, Ms. Varadkar. So even though in the course of his leadership campaign, Leo Varadkar made some commitments to some things which kind of deviated a bit from the programme for government, perhaps. Yeah, one of the commitments he made during the leadership campaign was that instead of abolishing the USC as was the previous Fine Gael position he would merge with PRSI to create a new system of social insurance a couple of the independent alliance members raised concerns about that because they said that it would, it's in the programme for government that the USC is phased out over the lifetime of this government now it's probably impossible that it would be abolished within the next 18 months in fact it is impossible so there issue was that the policy as is expressed in the programme for government would remain rather than the one that was enunciated during the Fine Gael leadership campaign and I don't think that's a big problem because in effect a lot of the things that Leo Varadkar said during the leadership campaign are for the next Fine Gael manifesto. He did say that there are certain things he feels he can do within the confines of confidence supply and the programme for government. He wasn't very clear on what they were but I would imagine that that merging of the USC and the PRSI is one that is for the next election. That's right and he, he was very clear in the first press conference that he gave on uh, Friday evening shortly after his election that the agreements are the agreements and he said when you have an agreement you should stick to it um, but of course the neither the programme for government nor the confidence and supply agreement cover every imaginable aspect of uh, of government policy and you know we only have to see how many times the government has been defeated in dull votes to know that there's a whole other area of political activity um, that he will be responsible for that isn't covered by the um, isn't covered by the agreements and will have to be thrashed out with both 
both the independence and uh, and with Fianna Fáil as matters uh, take their course. But uh, you know, I I think you know there might be I think the conversation with Michal Martin might be a little more guarded and a little more careful than it was with the independence or than it is proving with the independence. And I think you know that Michal Martin may look for specific guarantees about the construction of the October budget. Last year, Fianna Fáil and everybody else was sort of blindsided by the production of about 300 million in the final days um, uh, from Michael Noonan's bottom drawer. Uh, They weren't given any indication that that was coming. That in itself a violation of one of the overarching rules between all parts of the government that there should be no surprises of this nature. I think they will require guarantees that that sort of thing isn't going to happen. Because there is a suggestion of a suspicion on Fianna Fianna Fáil's side, isn't there? or Or a fear that Fine Gael might possibly decide to cut and run or might decide to make the budget an issue upon which mm-hmm. it can fight an election, that they might look to blindside Fianna Fáil with their shiny new leader and everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's a mutual suspicion that will be, you know, the unsaid thing across the table today when Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar meet, you know, both men say they want to honour this agreement to the end. It's not their intention to go for an election, but intentions change. I think that is the great unspoken between the two of them who will blink first who is the man who's going to bring this down because it's going to be one or the other if they, even if they see it through to the end one of them has to pull it down because the government continues unless somebody pulls it down so that is the great issue that neither of them will speak of I would imagine that they will pay lip service to honouring the agreement to its end but at that press conference as we remarked in the last podcast Leo Varadkar said he had no plans or no intentions to go to the country it's not the same as I will not definitively mm-hmm. go to the country So yeah, we must remember that uh, Theresa May didn't have any plans no. to go to the country uh, either until such time as mm. she did and it like it's interesting idea. I mean you know you talk to people in Fianna Fáil and they are very conscious of this danger for them that in the midst of the anticipated honeymoon mm. for Leo Varadkar in the polls that Fianna Gael decided mm. Felix says to cut and run but we must also bear in mind that Enda Kenny's departure as Taoiseach is a result of a fear in Fine Gael mm. that they were going to be pitched into an early, uh, an early election by Fianna Fáil so for all that they are collaborating with one another in government we shouldn't make the mistake of believing that they trust one it, another it has no, always been yeah. a Mexican standoff this is particular mm. political relationship hasn't there there's always a possibility of a Mexican standoff that somebody's going to pull a trigger either deliberately or by uh, accident yeah for sure and what they have done is they have made public uh, uh, an agreement with one another to go for three years and neither will want to be seen to pull that down for purely political purposes mm. because they will be afraid whether it would turn out to be the case or not but they will be afraid of a of a, uh, of a backlash from the public uh, having who, who, who would have been foisted with an election many of them didn't want and I think the experience in the British election albeit that we don't know exactly the, the outcome obviously at this stage yet but the experience of Theresa May in this campaign having called it for nakedly political mm. purposes will act 
to dissuade either party from calling an election for purely partisan advantage. So operating on the basis that all these wheels run relatively smoothly, when do we see the election of Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach and how exactly does all that happen? The dole is off uh, this week and is scheduled to meet next Tuesday and it's anticipated that all the, the recommitments should be completed by then but I was speaking to some people this morning who were of the impression that it's more likely to be Wednesday uh, for the election of a new Taoiseach. Whatever happened, whichever day it is. Um, what Very inconvenient for this podcast if it's a Wednesday. I think they should well, just I'm, take that I'm on sure board. That, I'm sure know? they'll bear that in <laughs> yeah. mind. I'm sure it's um, at the top of their thoughts uh, right yeah. now, you know. Yeah. But uh, what will happen is that Taoiseach will probably inform the Dáil as a matter of courtesy that he intends to travel to the Oris to hand in his resignation. So he will go out and he will do that. Um, he'll have a cup of tea with Michael D. And uh, But having resigned, he will remain as acting Taoiseach for, for, until for such time, time as a successor mm-hmm. is elected and, uh, and duly appointed. So, so when returns in his big black shiny car to Leinster House, the, the doll reconvenes? The doll, the doll will reconvene and uh, Leo Varadkar will be nominated. There will be a debate. Uh, there will be a vote on that. The numbers stack up for the government. He will be elected Taoiseach. At that point, he will then go back out to Orasanuk Turan uh, where he will be formally of of he, uh, there will be another cup of tea with uh, with Michael D green tea perhaps at this stage with um, uh, with Michael D and at that point Enda Kenny will cease to be Taoiseach and Leo Varadkar will be Taoiseach but if he was to uh, if, if some terrible event, uh, terrible eventuality were to uh, befall him on the way out through Chesterfield uh, Avenue uh, fear not we would still have a Taoiseach and it would be Enda Kenny. So, uh, so he will be, um, he'll be elected Taoiseach by the doll. He will receive the seal of office. He will return back probably to the Department of the Taoiseach to his new office, whereupon he will summon his new ministers uh, from, uh, many of them will be waiting uh, in, in a cold sweat <laughs> in the Sycamore room, sweating into their new suits uh, in the Sycamore room. And they will be, they will be uh, offered portfolios or offered departments they will accept and so forth. And then and there are after that total process, 14 of them. There are 14 of them. There will be some super juniors uh, uh, as well. So, you know, 15, 16 appointments. Appointments in all, he will. Um, he, some of the some of these arrangements may have been made in advance. Mm. They will, and of course, not all the portfolios will change. Mm-hmm. So um, the independents won't change, obviously. Uh, no. Probably not, and and, and uh, you know, perhaps half, maybe more than half, the Fine Gael ones uh, won't uh, won't change, or we don't expect them to. They will go back to the door. For more nominations, for they, they, he will read out his list of, you know, they will they will have this procession into the doll in order of seniority. He will read out to the doll the departments which have been Can assigned to them. Can you explain to our listeners, in order of seniority, who decides who's the most senior of... There's a protocol on this. It is uh, the, the minister, uh, it's the Taoiseach, mm. the Taunishta. Uh, the leader of the minor, uh, the minority party in government, if there is such a thing, the minister for finance, the longest serving minister, the longest and then the longest serving TD, and then the longest serving uh, member of the Oireachtas. Mm-hmm. This uh, this is all laid down. And then whoever uh, shoves in and ahead of and whoever's in at the okay. uh, whoever's, yeah. who's in at the arse end of it. Uh, then so they process down the um, 
the steps of the Dáil. Uh, the political correspondents are sitting in the uh, press gallery of the Dáil Chamber, have been for some time waiting for the procession inside and also waiting to see who comes in before the procession because they're the most disappointed people mm-hmm. in Leinster House that day because they may have got a new suit for themselves. They have, they're waiting in anticipation, but the call never comes. And at some point they realise that it's never going to come and they make their way into the Dáil Chamber crestfallen where we all point at them and at their colleagues. Yeah. No, we it don't. Is, so they're, <laughs> they're, they're colleagues. And we're not the only ones because their colleagues are doing the same thing. I remember a couple of years ago when an unnamed person who was about to be appointed to the European Commission uh, who was being relieved of his duties of a minister was watching out his window to see who was passing the corridor and who was getting called across and relaying this information down to the Dáil Bar. So it's not just us who have so a vicarious interest. The great, <laughs> this is one of the great moments of theatre in the parliamentary There process. is a certain degree yeah. of theatricality to it, um, I suppose, yes, the procession, uh, the procession down into the Dáil Chamber, and there's a round of applause and uh, uh, and so forth. And then another debate, mirroring the debate that has taken place a couple of hours earlier on the nomination of Taoiseach so on the nomination of members of the government, takes place. A pointless and often tedious mm. debate takes place, uh, often for some hours. Um, where and at the conclusion of that debate, then there is a vote. The government will win that vote, assuming they have all their ducks lined up um, in a row. And at that stage, the ministers process again out uh, to the Phoenix Park to meet Michael D, who at this stage has probably Sick had all the tea that he could possibly had. Stage, yeah. He's on something harder or a smoothie or something. <laughs> and uh, and it is often the case that, especially when the for, uh, after the formation of a government after a general election, that the new cabinet will have its first meeting out at uh, Orosanukto. That may or may not take place. And we're all there familiar with those kind though, of family photographs of cabinets. There is something, though, about if you're staying in your portfolio, you do not receive a seal of office. No, you don't. So the independents yeah. will not go up to the... Well, they might go to the park for the county meeting, they may but they go, will not go for that, you know, grip and green with Michael D and here's your They won't have that, but they may be out yeah. there for the photo yeah. and, and there may be a cabinet yeah. meeting out there. That much is... I was, a, in a, a, I, I was in the company of two uh, independent ministers who were recently inquiring about this and were heartily disappointed when they realised that that was their only gig a couple of last year. They wouldn't be getting another seat of office. They weren't getting another seat of office to hand on to the grandchildren or, or, or whatever it might be. So... Tell me, Fiac, then. The big question is, who's oh, in and who's out? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've, <laughs> You've had everything else, so... <laughs> Again, like, nobody really knows because, like, like you know, you often are so sceptical of politicians and say, oh, final decisions haven't been taken. And it, it almost is, always is the case with cabinets that the leader will have a rough idea of what he or she wants, but a different dynamic takes hold in the day. Someone might not... Someone might kick up a stink. You might have to rearrange ministers in a certain way. Like 2011, Rudy Quinn wasn't in, kicked up an almighty ruckus than he was in. Someone else got dropped the last time Leo Varadkar was offered to... Well, he was... He made requests that made it possibly virtually impossible for him to stay in health, you know. But I think the... the what intelligence such as it is that we can pick up is that there is talk, although again not finalised, of... Rather than merging finance and deeper back into one, having Pascal Donoghue have responsibility for both with a couple of kind of high power junior ministers underneath him. Again, that's yet to be decided. I was speaking to someone yesterday, he said that's very much a call for Donoghue himself. If he would want it, then it would happen. The position of Simon Coveney is um, being discussed between Coveney and Varadkar a number of times this week. Coveney himself, I think, yesterday on, on his local radio station said he expected it to be finalised by the end of the week. It's 
seen likely that he will be tarnished to like he was uh, on the Neil Prendival show yesterday he kept he was repeatedly asked this question and eventually competitor podcast yeah, he eventually he, and he actually said it would be great if you told the Cork media this rather than anybody else but he eventually <laughs> relented and said look if it was tarnished it would be great which kind of leads to believe that it will be tarnished it's kind of being let out there in Leicester House that he wouldn't he would be open to a move and that he would like a portfolio that offers significant challenges for the likely duration, remaining duration of this government, which is 18 months. And that seems to be foreign affairs because you're going to have Brexit and Northern Ireland and you're in trade. Aside from that, perhaps he would like deeper if it remains as it is now or staying in housing just as another option. But I don't think that's likely because the next Minister for Justice, as was pointed out to me yesterday, um, is going to have very little room for manoeuvre because the Commission on the Future of Policing in Ireland is not going to report until September 2018. And you would imagine that very few decisions can be taken about the guards until that happens. So that's what we expect at the moment. Then there's the Dublin problem that if Owen Murphy comes into the Cabinet, which everybody widely expects because he was Leo Varadkar camp- campaign manager, you cannot have six of the 12 Fine Gael ministers that's inclusive of Varadkar himself from Dublin. Something has to give probably Mary Mitchell O'Connor on the south side of Dublin and then you look around the country the south east Leo Rackers a lot of mouths to feed down there John Paul Phelan is tipped to be chief whip with Regina Doherty possibly getting the elevation big huge gap on the west coast of Ireland now and Kenny and Michael Noonan gone so Michael Ring and Sean Coyne are spoken of as possible west of Ireland ministers and then if you were looking at a long shot the midwest maybe Patrick O'Donovan is some sort of senior minister but so on and on it goes fair bit to play for. bear with us and we'll be joined by Mary Lou MacDonald And you're welcome back. Pat and Fick are still with me and I'm joined by Mary Lou MacDonald, the Deputy Leader of Sinn Féin. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, We were just talking about this brave new world which is about to dawn on us all. The era of Leo is about to dawn. What Mm. what What do you think of it? I suppose on the on the positive side of the ledger, I, I personally think it is a great reflection of where we're at, that somebody, irrespective of colour, um, ethnic background or sexual orientation or family form, that uh, that they can contest and win the highest office in the it's land. First Castle Knock Taoiseach as well, as far as I um, know. Indeed. Well, that too, although I, I, would, I would say that's perhaps slightly less significant. Um, <laughs> But I think that's a good thing, uh, and I think it uh, it reflects well on a lot of the progress that we've made as a society. I don't think it is, as some people claim, uh, proof positive that we are an all-inclusive, all-embracing society as of yet. But insofar as it goes, I think those are, are good indicators. The unfortunate thing, of course, is that uh, Leo is a Tory and that his worldview is, I think, very reactionary um, and a lot more than centre-right. So I think there's a there's a straw in the wind there in terms of where Fine Gael might move. Um, obviously, that changes the dynamic of politics for us. Enda is out, Leo is in. He will need the acquiescence of Fianna Fáil to become Taoiseach. From what I hear, that will be forthcoming. Um, he, he won the leadership of Fine Gael and fair play to him. He's, he's the youngest, the youngest Taoiseach. And all of that are, are on a personal level are, are to his credit, to his great personal credit. He doesn't have, uh, in our view, the democratic mandate to be Taoiseach. And I think given that we've gone through now a year, just over a year of what, what feels like from the inside a, a political slow bicycle race, um, I think we need an election. 
And I think with everything that's happening now, with Brexit looming, those talks about to kick off, with big things happening in the world, I think we need a strong government and we need a Taoiseach with uh, an unmistakable democratic mandate to act. Do you think Leo Varadkar's election as Taoiseach makes an election sooner rather than later more likely? Well, only he will know that and I've heard, you know, very informed speculation on both sides of that argument. I don't know is the is the short answer. Uh, I would imagine that he will look for a period to settle in, to get his feet under the desk. Uh, I would, would imagine that he looked to the, the opinion polls and I know that he will go for an election when he believes he will maximise Fine Gael's potential support and, and to get the best result he can for them. And all of that is absolutely sound as leader of Fine Gael. But the issue here is the the person occupying the position and the office of Taoiseach. So That's how, the Pat, bit that concerns how me. if at all, does the dynamic now change for the opposition parties in the door? Well, I think a bit like on the other side of the house, they will have to see what sort of a Taoiseach he's going to be, see how he operates, see what his style is, and more importantly, see what he wants to do in terms of the programme for government, the progression of legislation, the type of budget, for instance, that he wants to produce before they calibrate their opposition to him. I'm interested to hear Mary Lou um, describing him as a Tory and to the right of uh, of centre-right. I think that is probably what you will hear from uh, from Sinn Féin and from uh, uh, from other parties on the, the left. Well, it's an, obvi- the it's, left. A, it's, it's an obvious take to take yeah. on it from the parties of the left, isn't it? Uh, I, mean, yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but um, I, I would have thought it's an obvious take for parties from anywhere because Leo has never been one to hide his light under a bushel and he's never been slow about setting out his views on whether it was saying, well, you know, immigrants might, uh, you know, might pay them to go home. Or more recently, this business of uh, the social welfare fraud uh, campaign that are entirely, um, entirely gratuitous, entirely and deliberately misleading and entirely directed at whipping up a certain sense of sentiment or grievance amongst those that get up early in the morning, uh, whom he he gave a shout out to. So I don't think there's any uh, mistaking the kind of the political view, the world view of... I don't think think Mary Lou, though, uses the word Tory as a political description. I think she uses it as a term of abuse. It's a matter for yourself. It's originally an Irish phrase, you know, by the way, you know, that's where where its origins lie. But I am interested. I mean, this did come up, Fierke, obviously, during the the, the Fine Gael, you know, contest itself. Is it, you know, is it fair to say in any, based on empirical evidence, that Leo Varadkar is more right of centre than his predecessors as leaders of Fine Gael have been? Uh, I'm not quite sure about that. Um, I is think it hard to def- tell? Is it kind of is he a sort of a? I think he was definitely body in motion. He, he, to some he's extent. definitely more right of centre than Simon Coveney was. Anyway, mm. he was kind of off the centre. But what about then, Enda Kenny? I think Enda Kenny, Enda Kenny's administration and the people around Enda Kenny at times were, I think, more of a mind. Uh, they'd have more in common with Leo Varadkar would have than perhaps they would have with Simon Coveney. Enda Kenny's party was very much centre-right, I would have thought, in 2011. I think the, the policy structure around him was obviously tempered when he went into the coalition government. But the direction in which he was taking Fine Gael was centre-right, definitely, I, I, I would have thought. In 2011, anyway, and to a certain extent 2016, but was tempered by the Labour Party. I think because Enda Kenny was a kind of, you know, had the appearance of a genial, classic rural politician right. that perhaps he wasn't as easily typecast as a Tory. Now, I think Varadkar is probably 
a bit more to the right than the Kenny, but you, I don't so think you can really call that Mary Lou references in relation to social welfare and, yeah. and, and and a number of other things. I mean, are they? I mean, are they actually sort of dog whistles to a to a sort of centre right kind well, of? I, I would have I I would have thought the. You know the appeal to the people who get up, uh, get up early in the morning, as um, as he put it, to a lesser extent, maybe the, the the stuff about social welfare fraud, because presumably there isn't a serious objection to ensuring that only people who are entitled to claim social welfare uh, can actually claim it. But I, I do think that the, peop- the the stuff of people who get up in the morning was a signal to a particular type of uh, of mm. Fine Gael voter, and let us not forget that Leo Varadkar has just come through an, a, an election that took place not within the country as a whole but within Fine Gael and he was minded to speak to that electorate um, so I think you have to bear that in mind. On the right left disposition of, um, of both Mr Varadkar and the, the, the outgoing government I mean we put this to him uh, over the course of the, uh, of the Fine Gael campaign and his response was that he didn't think that those uh, you know, he didn't think that those labels were as meaningful as perhaps they they they, they once might have been. No, he he described them as a social. He said he said they don't exist anymore. Also, uh, he said it was a new can conflict. I, but I he think. also just, just sure. let me yeah. let, let me finish. I think it's a more important point just about the disposition of the government on the on the right left axis. The, but one of the best ways of doing that is see how it spends its available money at uh, at budgets. So the the last government started, albeit in very straitened budgetary circumstances, started off by using uh, 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 there were budgetary contractions in those days but doing twice as much cuts as it Mm. did tax increases. Now obviously in the midpoint of that government you moved into expansionary budgets and it ended up using much more of its available budgetary resources for public spending increases than it did for tax cuts. In the last um, in in the last budget produced by this government, uh, I suppose Enda Kenny Leo Varadkar's last budget which took place last October. The government, the, the, the division, I think, was about six to one between uh, what was used for tax cuts and what was used for expansion in public spending. So that seems to me to put them more, much more towards the centre than the centre right. talking about the party voted Sorry, Mary Lou, you want to Yeah, that? just on this, I mean, there's absolutely no argument, I don't think, with anybody that only those who are entitled to any form of benefit should 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 claim it and benefit from it. But that's not that was not the point that Leo was making. Uh, I, I think it was a, a much more divisive and cynical message than that because Leo would know because he's the minister concerned that when you actually drill into this issue of welfare fraud that you find in fact that the, the calculations are made in a most bizarre way. They calculate fraud on the basis of what might have happened if the controls necessary weren't in place. It's the equivalent of giving crime statistics on the basis of what might happen if you'd no Gardaí on the on, on the beat. Leo knows this. Leo knows that you can use those figures in a way that are most manipulative of public opinion. And when he talks about uh, people who pay for everything, uh, all of us know those that are stretched with childcare costs and mortgages and rents that have have run away. And of course, they need a voice and they need political attention. But that wasn't that message either. That was a message to society to say, do you know what? There's people out there who couldn't be bothered getting out of bed and who pay for nothing. So 
dear listeners of this podcast, there is nobody who does not make a contribution to the tax take of the state. They may not do it through income tax, but they certainly do it through consumption taxes. Mm. People who are in uh, uh, local authority accommodation... There are people who are net in in local authority. Let me finish now, Pat. People who are in local authority housing or even halting sites pay rent. There isn't this kind of notion that there is a section of society, ne'er-do-wells, hangers-on, who are, you know, sucking the lifeblood out of the rest of us. And I'm making this, and I I know I'm labouring the point too, but just please bear with me. I think it is very, very important, particularly when we talk about efficient use of resources, particularly when we talk about fairness and equity and people's responsibilities, which is also legitimate in society, that we don't go into this Tory vortex of creating this scenario where there's this group of unnamed but somehow known class of people who are like leeches on the rest of us. I think that is horrible, divisive politics. What about Mary Lou? I mean, I, I'm sure we will return again and again over the next while to some of these questions of ideology, but there's also the point that as you said yourself, Leo Varadkar is the youngest Taoiseach in history. Um, Michal Martin suddenly just looks to me just a little bit older. He's not old, but he looks a little bit older in comparison. Your leader, Jerry Adams, looks a good deal older. Pat had a column I think you had on Saturday, Pat, talking about this generational shift that's happening at this point, you know, that there's a generation of Irish people who are now represented at the at the top of government who are the children of the boom, I suppose. Well, it's a very conspicuous uh, generational shift and I think that will become, that will be the, the, the most obvious thing next Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever it happens, that the Noonan-Kenny generation of leadership has passed on and it is transferred. And how important is that? I think it's a significant moment for the country. As to how the politics of it plays out, I suppose, you know, we'll have to see. I tried to think out a few ways in which the politics would be different. And I think, you know, that if you look at that generation, you know, and uh, I mean, I made the point in the piece that, um, you know, nobody who joins young Fine Gael while they're in school and writes letters to the Irish Times about matters of public policy as a 17-year-old could be taken of being <laughs> representative of his generation. But I think he... he he cannot avoid being reflective of his generation in, uh, in you know, in, in many so aspects of his life, and, and that they will, and as well will and influence and his, uh, yeah. his, his the way politics. he bears himself and the way he speaks. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I think that politics for that uh, generation, and I, I, I suppose as I, uh, I speak as someone not a million miles um, away from it myself, like the politics has become a lot more kind of consumer driven a lot less ruthless in a way that it used to be possible in speaking in broad generalizations that are impossible to disprove um, but in, in a way that, that, that is it, what we do in, in the way that it used to be possible to speak of Fianna Fáil families and Fianna Gael families where there was 10 votes assured for the Fianna Fáil candidate and so forth a lot of those ties have been loosened to uh, to the point of meaninglessness and I think what that means is that there are a lot more votes in play <laughs> certainly amongst that generation, less so for older generations, but certainly for that generation and younger, politics is much more uh, is more fluid. I think less ideological in uh, in some respects, uh, but at, at, and that I think makes it harder to predict what's going to happen. It makes it more volatile, albeit that 
you know, for a time past, the polls have been showing some degree of consistency mm. within bands. My sense, and speaking to people who do polling and do a lot of qualitative as well as quantitative work, is that there is an underlying uh, unpredictability and an underlying fluidity amongst uh, a lot of voters in terms of their political allegiances. Which, among allegiances. other things, is an opportunity for Sinn Féin, isn't it, really? An electoral opportunity. Yes, uh, and I think it is in the natural order of things that things move on and that generational generational changes uh, happen and it's an entirely healthy thing. And it does make, um, I, I suppose, if nothing else, end out and Leo in um, gives a new sort of lease of attention span, maybe for people who aren't political anoraks, to take an interest, not just in a new leader or a new would-be Taoiseach but in, in, in the process in its its totality uh, and I think that's that's a very good thing but the bottom line in, in politics is not so much presentationally how it looks or how it feels so those, of course those things matter and not least at, at election time but what, what it amounts to at the end of the day so uh, for certainly this generation of uh, not just the gener- but generation of politicians, of course you think differently, you know, and your attitudes are shaped in a different environment than somebody 20 or 30 years older than you. That stands to reason. And representative democracies have to represent... So therefore, it's it, it's a good thing that that all of that um, that all of that happens. The, I, I, I said at the at the top of the podcast that this is a kind of a week of great uncertainty, really. And mm. you know, we, you know, we could potentially have a new prime minister of the United Kingdom yes. in a in a week's time. Although most of the polls suggest suggest that we won't. Uh, have you been campaigning up in Northern Ireland? I have. I have. I came back late last night. I did the world tour of the six counties. I, you name it, Hugh. I've been there. <laughs> um, very interesting campaign uh, northwards. You do notice over the last number of Westminster elections that the the centre of political gravity now in the north is in Belfast. It's not in London in a way that I I remember previous campaigns where Westminster was sort of the the big seat, the big political uh, prize. Um, I have been in and out of a couple of constituencies in particular in Tufoil where Alicia McCallion is contesting for us. She's run a fantastic campaign. Like that, she's a younger candidate and all the rest of it. Uh, North Belfast, John Finucane is mounting a very interesting challenge there. South Down, Chris Hazard, who was uh, a Minister for Infrastructure in, in the administration. And those are your uh, three main targets, very those strong. three you've just mentioned. And, there, and Fermanagh South Tyrone, obviously, Tyrone, course, which yeah. is yeah. always on a knife edge. Is that a really good campaign or is that one not as good? They're all brilliant. No, don't be divisive. On that point, Mary, Mary Lou makes about Stormont and Belfast being the centre of political gravity in Northern Ireland. Now, I was actually struck in a contribution by Nigel Dawes on the radio yesterday morning, and I got a snippet of the leaders' debate on BBC One Northern Ireland last night. I think John O'Dowd was representing John, Sinn Féin. Yeah. Geoffrey Donaldson was representing the DUP, and Geoffrey Donaldson was berating. Uh, are trying to there was a squabble between them as there, there often is about who was to blame for Stormont not being up and running and Geoffrey Don saying well you're giving out about Tory cuts it's your fault the Tories are able to cut because you haven't got Stormont up and running and he was and then you allied that with Dodds yesterday morning on the radio saying you know oh well if you put us in there you know the Tories we need to get Storm back up and running I think he said but we'll protect Northern Ireland against the Tory cuts but also support the Tories when they need to be supported there is almost a DUP now say a sense from those guys as well that Stormont is really 
where it's at. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And the first thing that will happen for us once the election is over and the votes are counted is that we will be looking to get back in around the table to sort out what needs to be sorted out to get the institutions back up and running. Is, is there not a harsh reality, though, that the, the most likely outcome, and it is a hostage to fortune if ever there was one, is that there will be a, a Conservative government returned? And all the evidence over the last while is that they are entirely focused on the Brexit process. And despite what they say rhetorically, they don't really give much of a damn about what, what happens. Well, I, I entirely agree with you. And, and if you look at how the whole Brexit scenario, the debate, it's origins, it's how it played out. Ireland, the north of Ireland, didn't feature at all. It's regarded, in my view, simply as collateral damage. And you're right, all of the political focus for Theresa May, if she is to be uh, ensconced in number 10, is is uh, around uh, Brexit. That said, there is an absolute necessity for the two governments to honour the agreements and for the institutions to work. It will be a question of political will. It'll be a question of whether or not Theresa May wishes to exert the kind of influence that she enjoys over unionism, but the DUP in particular, whether Dublin, uh, under perhaps a, a, a new Taoiseach, will be animated to act and to be more um, proactive in terms of uh, moving forward the issues. And then it'll be because if we are dealing with people who want to deal, we'll find a deal, if you, if you follow the logic of that. These are, these are the issues at play are very, very important. They need to be resolved. They're long-standing issues, but they are dwarfed by much bigger issues that the same parties around the table manage to resolve, to negotiate and to conclude. So if there's political will, we can we can finish this up, we can wrap it up in, a, in an afternoon. If there's no political will, then, then we're into uh There is into, one highly unlikely, but still could be plausible scenario if you look at some of the polls I've heard people kind of joke about this I know where you're going to go exactly with this, uh, <laughs> uh, if you look at the YouGov polls you know if you know this coalition of chaos is Theresa May if Jeremy Corbyn performed extremely well and the SNP did well and you know, perhaps a certain number of seats from Northern Ireland. Would they? Would you sort out your if, old if, pal, if, Jeremy? If, 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 would you sort out sort out Jerry Adams' it, old it, pal, it Jeremy? It would surely be the interest Jeremy. of of, in the, of of the Irish people to see a, a British government negotiating Brexit led by Jeremy Corbyn with the support of the SNP and Sinn Fein. <laughs> in the national see. interest, <laughs> in the as national they interest, say, indeed, yeah. we're abstentionists, um, mm. and that for me is a an entirely logical position for us. It's one that served us well. It's one that's democratically supported. Like, our candidates run and are returned on that mm. basis. Um, Is I it a tactic or a principle, though? Because you used to be abstentionists to the Dáil as well. Yeah, well, the Dáil is different, Pat, in as much as it's an Irish Democratic Assembly in Ireland elected by the Irish people. Likewise with Stormont. We had issues, as you know, smashing Stormont. Stormont is now not smashing, but we're we're inside, we're inside the gate there, and that has <laughs> that been suggests to me that that has been that has certain been certain established that has been, pattern that has been about no, but in in both cases they're both Irish political institutions in Ireland. There are what six hundred and fifty, is it, hmm. members of of, of, of Parliament. 
I think if, if you look in, in Westminster, I think if you look even historically for Irish nationalism, the best that we could get out of Westminster was to go in and filibuster and to kind of delay things. And that's when there were numbers in. The whole island was in. I, I really suspect so. that despite Pat's best efforts, I think Sinn Féin's position mm. on abstentionism is kind of clearly thought out and articulated. Yeah, no, but, I, but, but, but in here. fairness to Pat, he, he takes an interest in these in these he matters does, in the national interest. Can I ask you, just coming yeah, back to South again, last time you were in this podcast, Mary Lou, you, yes, um, you, you opened up uh, uh, what seems to be quite a quite a position and a can of worms for Fine Gael as it happened that week, actually. And you said, you know, we will be looking at coalition in the, mm-hmm. at some stage in the future. The position since then, Leo Varadkar, during the leadership campaign, said, oh, never Sinn Féin, absolutely never, ever. So can we take it then that the only people you would be doing business with would be Fianna Fáil? No, I think what you can take is this... Uh, we can make this one brief, I'm afraid. So, OK, well. Well, let me say this briefly, but very, very clearly. Leo Varadkar and Fine Gael don't get to decide who's in government. It, it, they don't have the, the, the authority or the... the I don't know who, who they think they are to say to us, to any of us who run in elections who are returned democratically, that somehow uh, we don't have as much right as anybody else to put ourselves forward to contest with the very clear view and intention of being in government. So the issue is this. We will talk to everybody. We will talk to everybody. Sinn Féin, however, would only be in government, obviously, on the basis of a programme for government that would be driven by change that would be radical and that would deliver. And, of course, for that to happen, we would need the support of our party membership. But I think it's kind of obnoxious of Leo Varadkar or Micheál Martin or anyone else to say, we won't talk to them and they can't be in government. They have one vote, one single vote. That's what every citizen has, just like me. And the people need to decide who's returned in what numbers. And then I think politicians need to have the cop on and the maturity to talk to each other and thereafter all other things unfold. We have to leave it there. I'm afraid I can see Pat was dying to get back in. We will return to this conversation at some time in the next while. Mary Lee, thanks very much as always for coming in. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. Remember, you can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.